Welcome to the Business of Nonprofits podcast, where we enable candid discussions of nonprofit business transformation. I'm your host, Stacey Lund. Let's get started. Brought to you by TGR Management Consulting. Hello, everyone. You're listening to the Business of Nonprofits. We're talking to Produce Good, an organization that sources and harvests excess bounty in San Diego County. With me today is co-founder and co-director, Alexandra White. Alexandra, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me, Stacey. Why don't you take a few minutes and introduce yourself, the organization, and your role at Produce Good? Sure. Well, um, my name is Alexandra White, as you mentioned. We started Produce Good in 2014 as a result of some work of my co-founder and co-director, Nita Kermans-Gilson, who uh, had been recovering excess fruit from backyards around North County, San Diego, casually since about 2009. When we came together in 2014, she was trying to figure out how to take her project to the next level. And uh, I joined her along with Jerry White, my mother, to... um, you know, become Produce Good. And we are basically a gleaning organization that recovers excess produce from backyards, farms, farmers markets, and now also Jimbo's Grocery in San Diego. And we collect this excess with the help of about 3,600 volunteers. And we provide this excess to over 80 partners that feed food insecure people in San Diego County. That's amazing. And I think I read on your website, when we say excess, 103,000 pounds, some some big number. Yeah, we're, we're actually at about, gosh, 1.3 million pounds right now. So multiply that times three to get the servings. We reached the million pound marker in March of this year, and we've just pushed on full steam ahead. So it seems like every year is exponentially more recovery than the year prior. That's amazing. And for those of you who may not be in the lovely San Diego area, our growing season here is 12 months long. So we can say that. And you really operate year round. You have sort of different seasonality, but you're a very hands-on organization. So super curious, talk about the pandemic, how that affected you between your gleaners and finding partners. How did all that change? Well, the pandemic was interesting. In the years before the pandemic, there were times when we thought we basically move the produce. So it goes right from the source to the organization that's feeding people. But before the pandemic, we had thought about, you know, do we create a repository? Do we put this produce somewhere? People can come and get it. But one of the things that really came out of the pandemic was this idea of a decentralized food rescue and supply model whereby we could go right to the source and then take it right to the organizations that feed. And of course, during the pandemic, our traditional model of having, say, 12 or 20 people out in a big orchard collecting the excess fruit, that got to be pretty challenging since people couldn't actually be together socially. So what happened was we leaned into this model that we call quick pick, whereby we just have maybe you know one to three volunteers picking. And rather than doing all of our picks from these large orchards, we were having people pick, you know, often even in their same neighborhood. So it could have been a family that was quarantined, you know, two women quarantined with their daughter who might be go out and, you know, pick in a neighborhood and take that to a local food recovery organization or, you know, you name it. We had all these smaller picks happening where we were traveling fewer miles and 
you know, at the end of the day, recovering even more produce than we had doing the larger events. So that's really both interesting and crazy, right? Was it more to manage because now you had smaller groups sort of happening more frequently? Talk about that a little bit. Was it more sort of overhead? Well, interestingly, we had always had this vision of this quick pick whereby throughout the county, we had, you know, a handful of volunteers, say 10 to 20, who would act as what we called crop bosses. You know, they're volunteers, but they're essentially volunteer leaders. So we equip them, we give them the equipment and they're all over the place. And then we get a couple more folks to join them, or in some cases, people they knew that they might have even been quarantining with to do picks in their area. So while it was logistically challenging from the sense of having a lot more activities happening, um, it became very self-sufficient. And then we actually also had a lot of growers who were doing self-picking. And we would help them place their excess with feeding organization that we were partnered with nearby. And there was another thing happening during the pandemic. You know, people didn't have a lot to do. And so I think there was a lot of attention to this idea of excess. So we were getting a lot of calls about, hey, I've got 300 pounds of this. I've got 700 pounds of that. Where can I take it? And some people were just dropping it off directly at pantries and the food bank. And we were getting calls from our partners saying, hey, can we refer people to you? Because we're just having, you know, this excess food being dropped off en masse. And of course, that was pretty challenging for these, for our feeding partners. So yeah, I'd say logistically challenging. But once we got that muscle flexed, we got into a rhythm and had a pretty incredible food recovery year in both 2020 and 2021. That is kind of funny, right? It is weird to think, okay, somebody's just going to have orphaned produce, right? They're going to bring it somewhere and maybe that's more than that organization can handle. So like, who do you call? You call you. And hey, do you know someone who can take this? Exactly. And and also funny that we had had that quick pick model that we couldn't really get off the ground for so long, you know, but we didn't really know what we were waiting for. And apparently it was that. Because, you know, that's really, as far as our crop swap program, that is the majority of the picks that we're doing even these days. We do some large ones during the big growing season between January and June, and then occasionally thereafter. But, you know, we're doing those smaller picks every week, multiple times. Talk a little bit about your partners. You just mentioned that you have a grocery store partner. Talk a little bit about how you find those. Like, how did you get the word out even for the picking? But then who are your partners and how do you find them? Well, we like to say it takes a community to produce good, and that consists of our growers and farmers who we consider partners and our volunteers who are providing the majority of the service to get the produce collected and distributed. And then, of course, those feeding partners who are out in the community creating this access for folks that are food insecure in San Diego County. So how we find our partners? Well, we do recruit growers. And one of the best ways we can recruit growers is through our city partnerships. We have contracts with the cities of Oceanside, Escondido, and Encinitas. So we do a lot of communication through the neighborhood app, next door, and through some of the flyers that go out through the cities to let them know that we're picking in those areas and that, that the cost of that is supported by the city. In other places, Stacey, it's really word of mouth on the grower front. Or you might see us out on your street. We have a sign that says food recovery in progress. You stop by, you say, what are you doing? And our volunteers can tell you to connect on our website. So growers seem to come to us pretty organically, as do volunteers. We spend time out on podcasts and doing other social media and news stories, both on television and paper. So, you know, that gets the word out. When it comes to feeding partners, I think that's probably where we do the most active recruiting 
we work with a pretty strong stable of partners who receive from both of our programs, market share and crop swap. But, you know, we may have a volunteer who drives by a church and sees a sign out front that says, hey, food distribution every Tuesday. That volunteer will let us know. I saw this organization that recently happened with Hand On Worldwide. We had a volunteer drive by and see that there was a distribution happening in Oceanside. And I contacted their uh, executive director, had an incredible conversation where she told me they're doing, you know, distributions three times a month and they'd love to partner with us. And we just get feeding partners on a schedule and we're off and running. Sometimes we'll just, you know, we'll supply a feeding partner once or twice in a year, but others, you know, we're supplying on a weekly or monthly basis. So when you moved from your hub and spoke, you know, bigger model to a more sort of intimate crop swap model, talk a little bit about internally, how big is your team, like your core team? Well, through COVID, our core team was three. Early 2021, we brought someone on part-time. They went to full-time at the end of 2021. And then, and we've added a fifth person this year. So today we have five folks on the internal team. So really lean. Yes. I'm guessing you were all working from home at that point, right? You weren't going into an office. Yes. And that was really interesting with volunteers because we'd had a lot of FaceTime and suddenly everything was happening remotely. You know, we weren't able to do a lot of check-ins. The markets had closed. So we were only operating crop swap through the beginning of the pandemic. But um, we were all, you know, functioning together remotely. In fact, our volunteer coordinator went on the road to try out the van life for a portion of that time. And I don't even think people realized that she was gone. You know, she's doing her texting and her calls and, you know, everything just, you know, kept on moving. So you were doing your check-ins and communicating successes and sort of pivot. All of that had to happen, I'm guessing, like via email, like from a tech perspective. How did you align yourselves, all five of you? Well, interestingly, we have been pretty good historically with keeping our data. What was written down in the early days is now collected in a very active workbook. And, you know, bringing that data into the workbook certainly keeps us all connected because we're checking on things and making sure we've got the input and the output so we can schedule and quantify and qualify what we've done. And then our operations team, the whole team meets weekly really to go through things. Those are very tactical meetings where we look at data and we make adjustments and we make sure that we're on track and certainly doing any problem solving we need to do or troubleshooting on behalf of partners or growers or volunteers. I want to come back to this idea of data. You are really analyzing your data pretty much weekly, if not twice a week. Yes. And it has been said that that's overkill, but let me tell you what's nice about it is at least at the highest level, we really know where we are at all times. Like I can tell you for the year this year, we're about 9,000 pounds over goal for where we should be for this week in the year. And, you know, that keeps us focused on where we need to be, you know, in the time that's remaining for the year. So, you know, I think that really helps us make sure that we're meeting the goals that we've set to help the community. Yeah, I don't necessarily agree with people who say that it's overkill to look at the data over and over. Uh, Sometimes stuff jumps right out at you. And I feel like for a certain group of us that are really performance oriented, Uh especially during COVID, the data did help you feel like, oh yeah, I did good today. I did something. Boy, you're really right about that. I don't know that I thought about that, but using that whole idea of being connected through that, it really is true. So that's a good point. Yeah. Right. Like just the win. I had to feel like I had a win somewhere. And and if the data was like anything positive, you know, yay, I did something good today. Exactly. It was a huge thing. Did you hit any major hurdles? Like, were there any problems along the way, either with alignment or 
sort of delivery or the model? Like, how did you overcome any little hiccups? Well, when COVID first started, when we had the shutdown, we were closed for about a week. We did have some lingering activities that were happening, but we said, hey, we're going to shut down. We're going to regroup. We had about 3,000 pounds of oranges sitting on a property in Valley Center, and we had no way to move that citrus. The food banks became very impacted. I was talking to you about people dropping food off, not only people, but commercial outlets, big, you know, tier one and tier two generators, you know, Target, Walmart, uh, Ralph's, these organizations dropped all of their produce and anything that was, you know, not being able to sell on the doorstep of the food banks. So they were not able to come out with their uh, semi-truck and pick up the totes that we had filled to take them back down to the food bank. So, you know, that was a panic. But even with that 3,000 pounds, we organized about five different volunteers to just drive out there and put that into the bags that they were already equipped with. We distributed that out to several different organizations, including a Seventh-day Adventist in San Marcos, which you know, became an absolute super pantry during the pandemic. You know, there was such a great need for food, which you're very aware of, that as we leaned out of this long-term partnership we'd have with the food banks to do that large-scale hauling, we leaned into these smaller outlets, pantries, churches, resource centers, you know, that could take 500 pounds a piece. And, you know, we were just coming to those folks a lot more often. I can't say it wasn't without some hiccups, but, um, you know, that's the same model we use for our market share program. We are currently operating at the Oceanside Farmers Market, the Lucadia Farmers Market, the Hillcrest Farmers Market, and the La Jolla Farmers Markets. We collect at those markets each week, and then we take that excess to a feeding partner who's near that market. Um, and in some cases, we have feeding partners like UCSD Triton Pantry uh, and the Food Recovery Network that come and pick it up from the Hillcrest Market. So. I really think we just, you know, we really got to fine tune a lot of those processes. Since we weren't operating the farmer's market at that time, we fine tuned crop swap. And then when we were able to open the markets back up, you know, we were really just, I would say, in a rhythm at that point. So the, most of the farmer's markets are, are back. Talk a little bit about where you are today and then like where you're going. What do you want to focus on? So we rescued 248,000 pounds last year. We've rescued 268,000 this year with a, a couple months to go. So I think we'll be breaking the 300,000 pound mark this year, which is 900,000 servings. We have a large grant from CalRecycle. It's the third grant we've had from CalRecycle program. And that grant was really put in place to help us build the market share program back up after the pandemic. And interestingly, crop swap and market share, they're getting much closer percentage-wise to being equal in terms of how many pounds they recover, meaning, you know, of our total mix for the year, traditionally, it's been mostly crop swap. But uh, this year, the two are really equalizing because of not only market share at the farmer's markets, but at Jimbo's Grocery and also direct from farmers. We're doing pickups every week from Yasakochi Farms in Oceanside. And those mixed produce pounds are really increasing, which is exciting because it gives more variety in terms of what folks can access who need that good nutritious food. Yeah, it opens things up. Again, if you're not familiar with California, right? We're such a we're so known for our citrus. It's so edifying to see that people are branching out and even small growers, neighborhoods have been growing sort of their victory gardens. And it's super neat to see, you know, neighbors helping neighbors and just that whole thing take off. You're so right. 
Again, I think that this idea of it takes a community, it's really the commitment of our volunteers who want to help communities feed themselves, participate in that process of recovering the excess. And, you know, interestingly, so California's SB 1383, that's a law that's in place. It's reducing uh, excess organics and landfill by 75% in the year 2025. This work that we're doing, at least where we're recovering the excess to feed people, I think to some degree that will always be niche work because you can't throw celery into the back of a truck. You've got to compartmentalize it a little bit. You can compost it, but if we're going to take from that compost what's edible to feed people, I think that requires kid gloves a little bit. So I I think that's where our volunteers and these other community partners really come together to make a pretty big difference. So is that the next phase of Produce Good? Is it taking that legislation and kind of acting on it? I know you actually were instrumental in helping to draft that legislation, right? Well, my partner, Nita, was so involved in the very earliest days with the housing collaborative here in San Diego, and then with, you know, writing that legislation, trying to get gleaning incorporated into that legislation. There's a big focus right now on the commercial food waste prevention, but, you know, that will slowly move into residential. And to your point, I think that really is where we'll shine. We do have those three city contracts. Those three cities are obviously out there trying to diversify in terms of how they're preventing food waste and counting on us to help them feed people with some of that excess and we hope to see more and more city partnerships evolving. We're, we're in talks with a lot of cities, but you know they have their hands full too. What was once a water department became water and recycling, and now it's becoming food recovery as well. So those are big jobs for those teams. And you know they're I think they're up to the task, but it's definitely going to take some time to figure it out. Well, it's another shift, and hopefully you guys will be there to help light the way, right? It's definitely a huge shift to go from water or, you know, waste to a different kind of waste. And really, it's just a repurpose, almost like an upcycle in terms of how you guys are handling the food redistribution. And I think that's tremendous. We're going to kind of end with how people can find out more about you. And then if they have questions around the logistics around what you do, or they want to find out more, because you talk a lot on your website about how it works. And you can sort of see that just from some of the stories on your website. Well, it's easy to reach us through our website. Uh, that's uh, producegood.org. We have a, a general inbox at info at producegood for email. You know, if you dig around hard enough, you can find a phone number on that website, but I, I'd stick with email. If you'd like to volunteer, right on the homepage of our website, on the bottom right, you can go out and see the events that are coming up. We keep that updated all the time. So you want to come out and give us a try, either through the crop swap program, picking in backyards or going out to markets or going to Jimbo's, you can go ahead and sign up as a volunteer and do that right there. And I, and then just, you know, listen for us. We've got great social media out there. You can follow us on Instagram. We've got a great YouTube channel you can join that has a lot of our videos out on it. And, and that's a great way to kind of see different aspects of what we do and, and little short clips. Again, my partner is really great driving our marketing and there's more and more information out there all the time about Produce Good. And, you know, we'd love to grow our community and we'd love to hear from you. I have one more like little question. Were you surprised? So, you know, everybody has this idea, especially given U.S. history, right? Like bigger is better and and you centralize and get bigger and bigger and good things happen. But your story is so unique because really what you're talking about is kind of a just-in-time delivery from the grower directly to a partner. Were you surprised by that? 
Well, I, to your point in the beginning, it always seemed like, oh, you know, let's explode this thing. Let's scale it, you know, see how far we can take it. But then I think in time, this idea, you know, really made more and more sense. And again, there's growth, but it's a growth in resources and a growth in participation and a growth in quality over quantity. I mean, for us, even understanding, you know, the folks that are eating the food we recover, you know, having a better sense of what they want to eat. Kids at the Boys and Girls Club in Oceanside, you know, loving tangelos or, you know, senior communities really preferring not to have grapefruit. I think that getting in there and listening and understanding more about the folks that we're serving has really, again, driven this idea of quality over quantity. And, you know, even in our city partnerships, outreach is so important, just trying to raise awareness. So yeah, Stacey, I think that has been surprising in some ways. Although, you know, if you just step back and sort of let things grow organically, it makes a lot of sense, but uh, definitely is not the traditional model. No. And I think that specialization, right. And that, you know, you think again, from an efficiency standpoint, Alexander and I are both organizational operations geeks. So, you know, you think, oh, I'm going to get scale. I'm going to grow, 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 and it's going to get bigger. That's not necessarily the way it always works when you do listen to your customers. So I want to just keep reinforcing that for listeners, because it really is about knowing your market and knowing your customer base, whether you're for-profit or non-profit, and really listening and then acting on that data. It's super neat that you guys sort of came into that during the, the pandemic. And then this other point that I think goes along with that is this idea of, you know, so when you are having this sort of stable growth, the efficiency to get your technology where it needs to be. We're at a point right now where we could do more events if we had the capacity to schedule those. But, you know, that's another logistical challenge in and of itself and a funding challenge. So that's kind of the next level. And, you know, everything always needs to be in balance and having a respect for the balance of all of those resources and the ability to capture the data and analyze the data, that's the name of the game. So we're, we're still out there producing good and more of it. And, you know, I, I'm, I don't even know what's going to come next. Hopefully the lessons we learned during the pandemic are enough for a little while, right? <laughs> like we can chew on them and- Oh, that would, that would be nice. <laughs> and take it to the next level. I, I don't need any more big challenges. I'm sure you can say the same, right? Alexandra, thanks so much for joining us. And thank you again for the work you do helping the community. I know you mentioned producegood.org. Please hit up their website and volunteer. They have actually, their website's very well organized. It's easy to follow through. You can learn more about them, but please do volunteer or donate. Thank you so much, Stacey. They would absolutely love to hear from you. And thanks so much again. It's just an amazing organization. For our listeners, we hope you enjoyed hearing about Produce Good. Be sure to subscribe or leave us a review. Uh, and if you have a suggestion or would like to be on the show, please contact us at podcast at tgrmanagementconsulting.com. On behalf of my producer, Sam Beck, and I'm Stacey Lund. We'll see you next time. Hello, my name is Tiffany Rosick, CEO of TGR Management Consulting. We help you do good work better.